guys, and welcome to the Smarter Business Finance Podcast. Today is episode seven of season two. My name is Jennifer Casey and... Anthony Alvarez. And we will be your hosts with the most today. On today's podcast, what we're gonna discuss are private party transactions. And before we get into that, Jen is gonna go ahead and highlight some of the wildest things that you would see on Craigslist. Number one, a lifetime supply of hot sauce. Ah, yes, I'd be in for that. Yes, we can always use some hot sauce. How about a mini donkey? You know, I've always needed a donkey. How about a pain in the ass mini donkey? That's even better, is it on sale? I would think one of the best items that we found on Craigslist was the haunted coffee grinder. <laughs> Some of the things that you would normally look for. Along with that, an ugly cat or belly button lint. Ugh, I don't really think any of us are in the mood for that, right? We don't need that, right, Jen? Throw it out. Bye. Now, we are going to get into the real nitty gritty about private party transactions. Now, this is definitely something that can take you down a lot of different paths and a lot of different roads, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unless you're working with a qualified lender who has the experience on how to handle a private party transaction, you could pretty much just put yourself in a plethora of problems, if you will. So it's important that you work with someone that has the experience in handling one of those types of transactions. Right, and you make a good point. You also wanna make sure that you're setting the right expectations. If you have a transaction that's involving a private party, you don't wanna let the private party know that they're gonna get paid within an hour or within maybe 24 hours. They might contact you and say, hey, I'm wondering when I'm getting paid for this piece of equipment that I'm looking to sell. The best type of answer to say is, well, it depends how quickly we can get this transaction done but it really depends upon how motivated everyone is in the transaction in order to complete each step of the process, right? Absolutely, you bring up a really good point. I would say that the biggest thing, the very first thing that you want to establish is the lender. Number two, you want to start to go ahead and develop a rapport with that private party. It's important that if you're gonna make this purchase happen with a private party, that they understand the importance of this equipment to your business, as well as how bought in you are into it. Here's what you wanna do. You wanna keep off and push away all the other cash buyers that are coming to go ahead and purchase that equipment, which is why it's so important to have the right rapport with your private party seller. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You know, that's a really good question, mm -hmm. Jen. I would think that's by communicating with the individual, making sure that you are exchanging emails with them, scheduling some form of an inspection to make sure that the equipment is gonna work for you. Mm -hmm. So many times when clients are trying to purchase equipment, you have a couple of texts take place. Well, between those texts, you have cash buyers that are calling this uh, seller. So it's really important that you're going ahead and corresponding with them and getting them the materials that you need. So like when I work with a private party client, Jen, mm -hmm. the first thing that I do is I set them up to succeed with all the proper documentation. And I also gather the information uh, for that private party seller so that I can get my information into their hands. Right, can we talk about what documentation you need in order to work with a private party? That's a really good point because it's a lot different from an actual dealer. Right, so the first thing that we would need would be a bill of sale. Instead of getting a sales order or an invoice, which is something that you typically get at a dealership or a place where they'd sell equipment, you need a bill of sale. What's on a bill of sale? The buyer's information, the seller's information, and the breakdown of what the equipment is. Year, make, 
model, possibly hours or mileage, and then also any type of VIN number or a serial number, and then also a date, a price that the actually product is going for, and usually a signature and a signed name by, by the buyer and the seller. Really good points. Many times that I've actually helped a private party uh, buyer, that is, they've received documentation from a private party seller that's it doesn't match the actual title, it could pose problems down the line when you're trying to title. It can actually lead to problems with the underwriter because then they don't have confidence that that equipment is what they claim it is. Mm -hmm. So that's a very good point that you bring up because that bill of sale will tell the lender exactly what you're interested in. Right. Number two, the next item that you want is at least six standard photos of that piece of equipment. Front, back, left, right, and the two last items are either the VIN or serial number, depending upon if it's titled or mm -hmm. non-titled, and the last would be either the hours or the mileage on a vehicle. So that's what we call in our industry the standard six. Then the next item that I think would be really important would come down to the condition report, often referred to as the spec sheet. A spec sheet is something that's gonna give us all the good specifications off of that equipment, mm -hmm. whether it's the tires, the mileage, the VIN. If it's a day cab, if it's a sleeper. Very good, there you go. It's gonna be case specific. Mm -hmm. The other part, if it's titled equipment, we will need the front and back of that title. Here's why that's really important. Number one, you wanna make sure that the person owns it, correct? Mm -hmm. How about if there's a lien holder? There you go. Why don't you talk about that, Jen? So <laughs> what does a lien holder mean? What is that? Sure, so a lien holder on a title means that at some point or currently, then there's a bank that's holding title to that specific title itself. Um, also, there are times where there will be a lien holder on there and the client or the seller will have a copy of the title or even the title itself, but they'll still be a lien holder. So a lot of sticky situations. We can still work with them, but the biggest thing is who's getting money, right? The bank wants their money as well as the seller wants their money. So at that point, it's called a split payment. The split payment now refers to as the payoff to the bank and then the difference of the payoff to what the client or the seller is actually looking to sell the equipment for. So let's say that the truck is $100,000 and the payoff to the bank is $30,000, then obviously that seller is looking to get $70,000. It's a split payment. 30,000, 70,000 equals that total amount of 100,000 to the seller. With that said, it's really important when you start to discuss the title with the actual private seller that there will be a title exchange after an inspection. So part of the private party process, as we go through and we collect all your documentation, we will work with the actual seller to go ahead and schedule an inspection. This inspection is usually less than 10 minutes and can be conducted by the seller themselves but it's important that you set the right parameters with that seller so that they understand why they're being asked to do this. Another part about the inspection process that's really important, Jen, is when a private seller works with the buyer to conduct an inspection themselves. So with that being said, um, there are services such as Lemon Squad available for our actual buyers. The reason that that's important is usually inspections are done by a dealer when they take in the equipment mm -hmm. before they sell it. Right. In this case, nobody has inspected the equipment. So you, as the buyer, the onus falls on your shoulders to find an independent company that can inspect the equipment and make sure that's exactly what you want. Now, is this required? It may not be required, but it is in your best interest. 
I always tell my clients that it is required for the simple sake that I want to protect them. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want them to do is to try to pick up the asset, never seeing it, never operating it, and then contacting me the day of pickup asking for me to try to do something when in fact we can't. Right. That equipment now belongs to them. So it's important that the actual buyer takes some type of responsibility to get the equipment inspected themselves right. prior to moving to docks. Now let's talk about what Lemon Squad actually does, uh, right? So we won't get into in regards to how much it is because I'm sure their prices will change from time to time, especially mm -hmm. with inflation or, or, or mm -hmm. highs and lows in, in our world. But the, the basic form, or I should say the basic product of Lemon Squad is they send out a certified mechanic a certified mechanic and they will take high resolution photos um is there a specific number do we know how many um you know i i don't have the exact photos the the number of uh, photos that they take but you did touch on a point with them being a certified mechanic they know exactly what they are looking for to identify the photos that the underwriter is going to want to see right so they're specifically looking at all the different specific points, the views that they want to see on the vehicle itself. They also um, submit that report with the high resolution photos mm -hmm. and then anything, anything that they're pointing out that might seem weird to them. So any dings or dents, anything that's been sprayed um, that looks like there was possibly rust prior to that. And then it's been painted over. Um, they also will give you access to that report to be downloaded and you can send it to the lender if you need to, you can keep that for yourself. And at that point, it's just a good reference to, to say, hey, do I really want to purchase this piece of equipment? When you really put some focus on this, it's the investment of time that you put in now that's gonna prevent any form of errors down the road for you later. And as a right. business owner, you know, if this equipment doesn't go to work for you right away, mm -hmm. you're in the hole. So it's imperative that you do this inspection on your own. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and we'll put a link below to Lemon Squad. Um, we don't have any affiliation to them. We don't get any kickbacks or anything or commission from them. So it's just a service that we like to refer to and we really do love them. They've been a great company that we've teamed up with. So let us know, have you worked with Lemon Squad? If so, go ahead and put a comment below. Let us know if you've had a good, good time with them or what your experience has been with them. We always like to hear we so far have had a great experience, but if there's another inspection company, a competitor of Lemon Squad, feel free to comment below as well. Have you heard of them? As of recent, um, not only did I utilize, say, Lemon Squad in one of the, these transactions to go ahead and help, you know, hold together the value of that equipment, but what I think you need to understand when you are a, 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 when you're a business owner and you're buying from a private party, that you really you are really taking the ownership of somebody else's problem in a sense. So you have to understand that once this goes to the underwriter, the underwriter is going to go ahead and go through what is called, as you said, asset evaluation. This is where the lender is going to determine whether or not the equipment that you've chosen is worth what that seller would like to be paid mm -hmm. for it. I had a transaction just recently on a semi-truck and guess what? The lender did not want to purchase the deal because they felt that it was double the value of it, double of its current value. Mm. So again, if you're out there and you're searching for equipment, you want to make sure that you're cognizant of the other comparable per, comparable items that are on, say, the truck papers of the world or wherever you could do your research to kind of get some more knowledge as to what things are selling for right. maybe even a couple of dealerships right. because when you think about it 
just because it looks like a good deal, Jen, it doesn't always mean it's a good deal. Right. You're basically bypassing any form of inspection, going straight to the person who owns the equipment, bypassing a dealership that would have brought it in to kind of tighten things up a bit, if mm -hmm. you will. This is why that spec sheet is so important, Very. as well as those photos. Because if there's information that's missing off of there, and I get it, we're all in a hurry. We are all in a hurry. Everyone has so much going on, but take the time to fill out that spec sheet and make sure that we know everything that's on there. If there's been upgrades, if there's been attachment sets that have been put on mm. there, we want to see what is on there. Because if, if we don't understand the bells and the whistles and how amazing this a piece of equipment is and there's additional items on there, the lender's not going to see it either and they're not going to value it for what it is. So keep that in mind when you're providing information that's for a, great, a private party. That's a great point because, you know, we, we deal with trucking so much in our industry and we hear the term wet kit. <clears throat> well, unless you understand the value of a wet kit and what it does for a truck and the cost of that equipment to add to a truck, you wouldn't understand how to go ahead and present that to a lender. So again, in dealing with private party transactions, you wanna get granular. You wanna get granular with your inspection of the equipment. You wanna get granular with the information regarding the actual asset that you're purchasing, because this is exactly how an underwriter is gonna look at it as well. Right. Now let's talk about who we can work with for private parties. That's another good point. And who we can't work with. Mm. Can you buy a truck from your brother? No, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, well, but you can't finance it through a commercial lender. That, that's a really good point because in, in our industry, and this took me a while to kind of learn this, and after a while, you kind of understand exactly why lenders have this in place. And it's because we use the term arm's distance or arm's length distance. In other words, an underwriter wants to see that you're purchasing equipment from another legitimate business, but we're not cutting a deal with our brother who's in a bad spot to go ahead and sell one of his rigs right now. In fact, uh, that's just a no-no. Mm -hmm. You wanna make sure that you're actually doing these transactions with businesses that have the asset that you need, but you're doing it with someone that you clearly do not know so that it zeroes out any form or inkling or question of fraud. Right, and the biggest thing too, a lot of times I have clients, I've worked a lot in the restaurant industry and they'll say, but I know that my brother is take care, taking care of this equipment or my sister's taking care of it, or it was my dad's. Unfortunately, there's there's just no way for us to tell if that money is actually being exchanged. So. It's, it's out of our hands at that point. There's no exception when it comes to that. We can't be financing stuff when it comes to family as well. So um, yeah, I mean, it's that rule. Think of it as getting any type of power of attorney or a notary. A notary, you can't have the same last name and you can't have someone that's related to you. So, really good point. Yeah, same thing with that. Really good point. Have we hit all the points? We have a bill of sale. We have a spec sheet. Mm -hmm. We have photos of the equipment. We have an additional inspection if someone would like to. Absolutely. And then... Now, I think it's a really good time to kind of point out to people, Jen, we have the answer. We actually have documentation for each and every one of these steps that we've discussed. Mm -hmm. We have fine-tuned it in such a manner that our underwriters understand based on the way that we work and the requirements that they have for a private party transaction, every one of these steps, we have it covered. So that's why I said at the very beginning of this episode, it's extremely important. No matter who you're gonna work with on a private party transaction, it comes down to one thing. Do they know what they're doing? Because in the end, if they don't, your time is lost, your money is lost, you've lost contact with the person selling the asset. When this 
can all be held together with the proper person who understands commercial financing and how to deal with a private seller. Right, right. Well, let's talk about one point that sometimes come up. So when you have a seller who's getting money being dangled in front of them from people that are looking to purchase their piece of equipment, there's sometimes that something that's called a good faith deposit or um, they're literally just, it could be on a handshake, but what motivates that seller to not sell to someone else? Well, first of all, as a buyer, you wanna be able to trust that person because I know we've had stories where um, someone will go ahead and give 500 bucks or even a thousand bucks and then the seller ends up just taking off. So that's a risk. That's a risk that you have to take as a buyer. But the other side of it as a risk is that seller could go and sell it to someone else who maybe has money in the bank or cash in hand in order to, to buy it. Um, but a good thing to do is to possibly negotiate with that buyer as long as you feel comfortable with them um, to be able to give them something that they can hang on to. That way they're not going to go and sell it. And it ends up being more or less, even with dealerships, any type of equipment seller at this point, because equipment is getting scarce and we're getting less and less of it, we have buyers um, coming left and right in order to swoop up equipment. You want to make sure that, is it a handshake? Is it on a word? How is that buyer going to know that you know the equipment's secured in that transaction? No, I love that because again, it, it comes down to the rapport. Look, you're a business owner, right? You conduct business. You need to step up and conduct business with this seller, meaning mm -hmm. you don't want to leave anything for chance. Right. You want to make sure that you document the things that you'd like to know and via email, you communicate with them well, because in the end, if you don't secure this specific asset, if it, if it really is what you need as an owner, it falls on your shoulders to make sure that you're doing your due diligence as well. So as a business owner, rapport. Right. whether it's with your lender, whether it's with the actual seller, you want to establish those points at the very beginning so that everybody is comfortable. Again, there's only one thing we cannot get back from all of these experiences we're talking about, Jen, and that's time. You can never get mm -hmm. that back. So if you waste it on 50 of these attempts, you've gotten nowhere and you've lost a lot of money. And I right. think that's where it becomes very important for people to establish that rapport at the forefront. Yep, definitely. Absolutely. One last point I just want to hit on is timing. Let's talk about how long does this transaction actually take from start to finish? It's a really good point. I mean, I've had some of them last a few days and some of them several weeks. Yep. So let's talk about what happens first. Number one, you're getting information from the buyer and the seller, which we've spoken about, the equipment condition report or a spec sheet a bill of sale, mm -hmm. the client itself is actually applying for financing, they'll need an application, possibly three months of bank statements. Now, the transaction gets approved, right? Mm -hmm. Just because the transaction gets approved doesn't mean that the, we're ready to move forward right away. No, that's, still where have the, to, that's where the fun comes in. Yep, you still have to value <laughs> the equipment and get the equipment approved, mm -hmm. with which, which, which we already talked about, the photos, um, the additional um, information, or even an inspection at that point. Now, the next step is getting paperwork out to the client. We get the paperwork out. Sometimes it's electronic and sometimes it's still sent over with wet signatures. Yeah, believe it or not, some lenders are still using wet signatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's There's true. Also, when it's titled, we will need limited power of attorneys. What does that mean? So the limited power of attorney will give the lender the authorization to go ahead and do your title work with your local DMV. I get this question all the time because people think power of attorney and they're like, wait, 
wait, I'm not sick. Yeah. It's not the case. <laughs> In fact, the, the reason that the lender needs that power of attorney is to represent you just the same way as if you were at a dealership. Right. So since you're not at a dealership, you're going to run into this on a private party transaction. Right. But know this, Jen, this is happening on both sides of the fence. Meaning, again, remember what I said about fraud, we want to prevent fraud. So this is happening on both sides of the fence. So as I'm working with my client to collect those power of attorneys, my funding team is out there working with the private seller to collect theirs as well. Right. This is something that's very vital and it really kind of pushes the system forward, if you will, checks and balances because we make sure that everybody is who they say they are and we keep everything streamlined for you throughout this process. So you as a business owner, you don't have to go and chase this info. Exactly, right. So now we're either getting electronic documents or paper documents. If they're electronic documents, um, obviously they're just sent over DocuSign. Some of even the documents are sent over, like a notary will be done virtually. Mm. If you do need paper documents, those are emailed over, printed, wet signatured, notary is signing off on them. Then once everything is perfect and beautiful, we have them overnighted back to um, the underwriter, the originals. Um, and at that point, are we ready to fund? No, no. Not always. No, we still have to, <laughs> we still have to pass underwriting. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we procured all the paperwork from the seller, everything from you as the buyer. We've sent that up to the underwriter. There may be one or two little steps that we have to clear because something wasn't dotted correctly. You have to understand these are legal documents. So if we miss a period, we miss a decimal, that paperwork gets kicked back to us to correct it. Right. So that would be the only thing that I would ever like foresee taking place once you're past that process. Right. Yes. And we're all human here. There are times, you know, we have people that work in our documentation department who have put the wrong VIN number. Maybe they put the mm. letter eight instead of A, or excuse me, the number eight instead of the letter A, or possibly the name of the business is on time instead of one time, and they mm. dropped the E out. Whatever it is, we're human. Sometimes there's mistakes. So at that point, it's a lot of gathering last minute information, making sure insurance in place. And then the last step of the process, depending upon who the lender is, is an exchange for money and an exchange for title. And pretty much at that point, money. Yeah. And pretty much money. some of those, some of the lenders that we work with will either distribute it through a check, some will do it through a wire. But here's the great part. We have all that forefront work to make sure that when that money goes out, it is 100% tight right? and that you as a buyer are 100% confident in this process. The seller knows he's going to get paid or she's going to get paid and we're pretty much done at that point. Right. So from start to finish, it could take several business days, even up to two weeks, just depending upon how quickly everyone can get everything done. So that is correct. Hopefully we've covered all the bases of private party transactions. I'm very confident that we did. As a matter of fact, I think this is an excellent topic to talk about because of the different interacting components, some people are so used to the dealership side of things, they have to understand, number one, this is the commercial world. And then number two, we're dealing with business to business transactions. Mm -hmm. So we'll take care of that paperwork. And that's exactly why we do things smarter. Right. Is because of who we are. Right. Now I will say one last thing. Why would someone want to work with a private party instead of the dealership? Okay, so that's usually because of cost. Really good point. When it comes to the cost on equipment, you're gonna find that there's some crazy deals out there. Again, crazy. The reason that I say crazy, okay, you can end up falling into a situation where you're trying to save money, but you found a semi for $25,000. Mm -hmm. I said $25,000. 
That's exactly what I think, Jen, sometimes when I hear some of these numbers. So again, it's really important when you're picking your asset, you have to think about what a lender is gonna think about that equipment as well. Right. And it's important that you're selecting something that's gonna be fully functional, mm -hmm. right? And is gonna to go to work immediately. Right. Leaving no questions to the lender. Right. And you also, you also have to think when you're working with a dealership, they have a dealer's license, which means they have to be held to a higher standard. So, and not to say that there isn't dealerships out there that might not hold to a high standard. There might be, you know, ones that don't specifically, I won't get too much into that, but the majority of the time, a private party, you better know the equipment that you're purchasing. A absolutely, mm -hmm. because again, you're buying someone else's, and as we say, you're buying someone else's problem. You might see it or, or the value in it, but the person who's selling it is willing to part with it. It's up for it's up to you to do your due diligence to make sure that that asset is going to go to work for you. Right, love it. Well, hopefully we've covered all the topics. If you guys have any questions, please go ahead and comment below. Ask us anything in regards to private party transactions, if we haven't covered something, or if you feel like you want a, a little deep dive in there, or let us know, have you worked with us? Mm. Have you done a private party transaction? How long did it take or how quick were we to get it done? And hopefully we've given you some good information. If you're currently going through the process right now, you have us on your side to help you out, and hopefully this will give you additional info. So thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you too, Jen, for yeah. your time. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Bye.